This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz, and we'll bring in episode one of two this week on the Penn State Nittany Lions football and recruiting landscape. Did a lot of recruiting talk, Sean, last week. We had Steve Wilfong on, Brian Doan. That's bringing in the big guns in our industry. Broke down a lot of different stuff as the camp circuit resets, as teams like Penn State prepare for the influx of visitors in June. If you missed any of the conversation, including uh, intel on a couple new commitments, uh, Malik McNeil on the offensive line, Tyrese Mills at safety, a bunch last week, but we're going to turn the focus today, Sean, and 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 put it on the NFL draft. And I, I know people are saying, well, that's in the rearview mirror. We're going to take a look ahead, though. How does the NFL draft and the players who left it impact the 2021 Penn State roster? And what may we find on this 21 roster uh, in terms of draft gems next spring? So let's start there, Sean. The goal for every Penn State uh, you know, recruiting class is to leave at the other end as a strong draft class. Uh, the 2018 class, for example, a, a mixed bag thus far. You've had guys who aren't even playing football. You have guys that uh, have moved down divisions in football. You've got guys who have left the program pretty fast. Then you have three picks in the top 60 a couple weekends a- ago. Not everybody reaches that finish line, but um, three out of the last four years, Penn State with six draft picks, and that is their high mark in the past two decades. Yeah, there's there's a bit of consistency there, and this is, I think, in the greater scheme of things, talking roster building and balance and things like that. And obviously, uh, some positions when Penn State got there were not quite where they needed to be in terms of, you know, the offensive line. Now you just had two offensive linemen drafted. I was thinking of that earlier. I was out on a walk and I'm like, man, how lucky did they get? I know people have been critical of the offensive line play over the last couple of years, but in that 2016 class, how lucky did they get? They took four offensive linemen. You took Connor McGovern, who's the third round pick of the Cowboys. You took Michael Mennett, who was drafted last week. You took Will Fries, who was drafted last week. That's three multi-year starters, I think three three-year starters for Penn State. And then Alex Gellerstead, who ended up transferring I tell you what, when you're talking about offensive line class, if you can get three, three, three multi-year starters out of any of your draft class, whether you, or any of your lineman class, whether you take four or whether you take six or seven, that's a good hit rate. So just thinking where that that group might have been without that uh, that contingent right there is, is pretty remarkable. But just little things like that. And and I, I think one of my concerns moving forward with this team, especially in this year, is that they're very strong in some spots not so much in other spots. And, it, and when you talk about potential injuries and, and depth concerns, that certainly can be um, something we talk about. But in terms of draft classes, I think it's it's going to even out. There's a lot of talent, a lot of guys, uh, you know, some of it's stacked at the same position as we'll see with, at, at cornerback and, and other spots. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where the draft classes have sort of uh, been on the upswing for a while now, and and I think Penn State's starting to to sort of cash in more on that. We we talked with a guy like denied Dennis Sutton down at Under Armour. He mentioned the the seven first round picks or whatever Alabama had, but okay, well Penn State just had a couple of first round picks. There's uh you know that's that that's no slouch right there. So I think it's getting through on a recruiting um on, on the recruiting graphics and things like that. It's getting through to these prospects that, that Penn State is a place that you can develop and be an NFL draft, even if not if you're not going to the the factory that Alabama is, you you still can can come here, get developed, and, and come out on the other side, as you said, as a potential NFL draft pick. Yeah, there are not many programs. Uh, there are very select few programs right now that can really tout their draft status among others and you know Alabama leads that way Ohio State's been uh, tremendous in that department so it's Clemson during recent years Uh, but a program like Penn State that's part of the package getting six guys a year drafted seeing multiple guys in that first round three in the top 60 
Um, it's a pretty good spot to be in the grand scheme of college football. Historically, Penn State, of course, I believe number eight all time. They have bumped up to number seven all time in draft picks produced. But focusing in on this class, six guys were picked. We spent a lot of time focusing on those six. Let's look at what they left behind. And, and the first one's kind of a freebie for us, Sean, because – Yeah, Micah Parsons is gone. He is the headliner for the 2021 Penn State NFL Draft Class, number 12 to the Dallas Cowboys. But he's been out of of Happy Valley since last August. We're used to life without Micah Parsons. The good thing this time around is you get a full offseason to figure out how to handle his absence. Yeah, the, that there was kind of a train wreck there for a little while, uh, especially, you know, he declared in, in August and you thought there wasn't going to be a season at all. Um, and I mean, I guess it was a little bit before that. Um, but, uh, you know, you're kind of in a in a bind there if you're Brent Pry, because obviously Jesse Lucchetta is not Micah Parsons. Nobody was going to be Micah Parsons, but you kind of tried to fit that, uh, you know, that Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucchetta into the box where you probably have two middle linebackers you know, playing the, 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 the mic and the will. So that was a tough one, but gives you a little bit more time to get out and gives you time to sort of develop the guys behind them. I, again, I, I don't want to harp on Lance Dixon being gone, but this was probably the year where he could have stepped up and, and had an impact on that too deep a little more than he did in the, in his, uh, in his tenure while he was here, but it gives you a chance to move Brandon Smith over, utilize him probably at the best of his abilities in the box you know, bring along Curtis Jacobs and get yourself into a, a spot where you feel comfortable with not only the, the, the frontline talent, the, the starting three guys, but also your depth. Uh, depth is still scary there. I mean, not going to not going to sugarcoat it. That was that was going to be the case whether Micah played last year or not. Um, but Charlie Catcher's obviously battled injuries. Jesse Lucchetta's coming off of an injury. You're going to see what they've got. Uh, you know, hopefully you don't see too much of Tyler Elson and Kobe King, although they like what they've done so far. That that That's a lot to throw in the fire right now. So uh, I think that not nothing changes to be honest with you without Mike in there because they did go through that. But um, I think we would be sort of shorting ourselves here if we didn't realize, or if we didn't mention what kind of bind that put that put the Penn state defense in very quickly last year. Throw that situation into the, into the whole circumstances where you're not having padded practices until a couple of weeks before your season opener. And even those practices aren't quite right. Uh, Hard to decipher exactly what they did when Micah Parsons stepped away and, and, and how you have to kind of, you know, understand all the circumstances that were poured into there. Now though, this is, we've said it before, Brent Pry has recruited this room. Um, it is a group that he is familiar with from when they got to campus uh, to th- those of them that are in year five now on campus. And Brent Pry has been the guy looking over that room, uh, looking over that defense during recent years. Um, and essentially what you're doing here is having the conversation about five-star linebackers. You talked about hitting on three of four offensive linemen in that 2016 class. Well, scattered uh, across a few cycles, you signed four, four, four five-star linebackers in 24-7 sports rankings. You hit on Micah Parsons, an All-American. Things are training in the right direction with Brandon Smith after year one as a full-time starter. And now Curtis Jacobs in year number two, presumably going to be the starter at Sam. That's what we're anticipating um, with Brandon Smith over at the will. Um, to me, Curtis Jacobs is the tipping point maybe for this defense and maybe the ceiling that they could. How ready will he be? Remember, there's not that you know nice stretch of cupcake kind of games to start things out. Week one is on the road to Wisconsin, and you know they're going to want to find out the Badgers will what exactly Penn State has in Curtis Jacobs, and, and if he's going to look a little bit lost out there facing a really big setting. Oh, no doubt about it, and that's that's one of the things I think. Uh, you, you say Curtis Jacobs is probably the the tipping point or whatever. I have it as Brandon Smith because last year that Penn works State too, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's probably an easier route. I, I see where you're going with this because it's a new starter. It's a guy that you got to work in there. You're not sure, you know, going to a place like Wisconsin is he physical enough to play in the in the box and do what he's gonna they're gonna need you to do there. Um, I think he can blitz. I think he can cover. I think he can do all that. But you know, Wisconsin's kind of a different story. It's a, that Wisconsin I. Iowa um, link up is kind of a different story than a lot of the other part of the schedule. So um, I, I see where you're going with that. But to me last year, this defense, it had an eraser and Micah Parsons. And then when he left, that was it. You know, that, that, that was, that was it. You didn't have a guy that could make up for bad angles. You didn't have a guy that could make up for, um, you know, playing, playing a screen pass wrong or something like that. And Parsons, and all of a sudden you get left out with what you got left with. And that, that doesn't leave you with a ton of confidence heading into this year. I think Brandon Smith with another year, um, I don't know that he's going to be at that level that, that Parsons was, but he's going to have the opportunity to be. And I think he's in a better spot to do so this year. So um, I, I'm curious. And I think where we, where our points tie together here is, 
is if you're going to play some two linebacker set, which that we know they want to do, they want to do that four, two, five, get more D backs on the field, whether it's probably another corner um, based on what they have back there. Uh, but can you put Brandon Smith and Curtis Jacobs out? Because that looks a heck of a lot better than last year, putting Ellis Brooks and, and Jesse Luketta out there. So you've got some speed, you've got some, some size, you got guys that can cover. Jacobs was a excellent high school safety. So I think that gives you a little bit more confidence. And if, and if Jacobs is far enough along where they can do that, that to me, it changes a lot about this defense. Absolutely. His progression here in year two, um, if he can, I mean, Brandon Smith told us this spring that, that Jacobs is, is further along than he was at the same stage of their respective careers going into year two, looking ahead at being that first time starter. That's Smith's perspective, by the way, one of the more humble kids you'll meet on this Penn State roster and Brandon Smith, but it seems like he feels like Curtis Jacobs has a lot of things put together at this stage of his career, but we're going to find out when the lights come on and, and and this thing gets kicked off because it's just impossible to really measure what Curtis Jacobs is going to be. And you're going to see, by the way, and you would hope to see a very different Curtis Jacobs coming out of start number 12 of his career versus going into start number one. I think you can say the same thing about Micah Parsons when he stepped up as a sophomore full-time. Brandon Smith looked a lot better last December, I thought, than he did last October. And, um, and, and by he, the way, you mentioned the word eraser, Sean. Um, we didn't see any Everybody consistently bring that to the field like Micah Parsons. But I think when we got to the final seven, eight, nine games of the season, um, that's where you saw two guys in this defense, to me, show a little bit of that. It was it was Brandon Smith and it was Jaquan Brisker. You you, you kind of uh, are, are doing the revisionist thing because you're, t- you're always talking about the 12 and 13 game seasons. The last nine games of the season was the entire season last year. So probably the last five games of the game, season. Game seven, eight, and nine is probably what I meant to say. Ah, there we go. <laughs> I was going to say that, that one got me for a second. Um, but yeah, and, and let's not forget, Brandon Smith needs to be better. We, we have these expectations for him and he's done some really nice things, flashed some really nice things, but at the same time, that youth kind of shown through a few times times. Um, so I, I think that it's not without saying that he's got to be better. And if he can be what they think he can be, what we think he can be, I obviously we're very high on Brandon Smith here. Um, but that, that's, that says something that'll get into our next topic when we talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, these, these linebackers, um, you know, can go a long way in erasing that. And again, I agree with you, Brisker behind them, whether he's paired with Jair Brown, Sutherland, whomever it may be, Brisker behind them can help those things as well. And, um, and, and while we're on it, while we're on yeah. it, since there wasn't a defensive tackle that was that, that went in the draft, obviously Antonio Shelton left. So you're replacing that. Um, that's big to get a guy like Derek Tangelo in there who can maybe eat up some blockers. Um, Ellis Brooks, I think kind of is what he is at this point. Um, and I don't think anybody's going to deny that. Um, so if you can get it cleaner in front of him, maybe he, he looks better as a result. So those defensive tackles obviously need to be better, um, you know, than, than they were at times last year in, ter- in, in terms of keeping the linebackers clean. So it's kind of, it's a chain reaction, man. Everything starts at the front and goes right up the middle and, and, Again, Ellis Brooks, it, I, I hope we see the improvement that, that the coaches have talked about on the record. Um, but we'll, we'll, that, re- that kind of remains to be seen. I'm kind of in the uh, I'll believe it when I see it because we've seen it for a couple of years. And it's just kind of um, plateaued a bit in terms of what he brings to the table. So if he can do that, if he can break through that more power to him, because that would be that would mean very good things for this defense. Feels like we've been trying to sort through the situation at linebacker really since Micah stepped away last August, uh, a spot where you felt really good about last year, but knew that things were going to look different going into the spring of 2021 was that defensive end, Jason Oway coming off the board in round one to the Baltimore Ravens, Shaka Tony going to your Washington football team in round seven. That leaves two vacancies, a familiar name who was a big part of the rotation since stepping foot on campus, really, uh, and Adiza Isaac. Arnold Ebikede, who is, in my mind, um, a guy who has just really come on and hit the ground running, hit the ground sprinting, uh, because he is really an explosive force. Um, as something that I think has translated well into the practice field at Penn State, making that leap from Temple. And then Nick Tarburton, who, you know, is looking to go from, yeah, it's a nice feel-good story to this guy is going to contribute toward wins. And and that's that's kind of the bridge that he's looking to to cross between now and when, you know, when this thing gets kicked off. Well, when you talk about last year's defensive ends, obviously you're going to gravitate toward the stats of Oway and think the, the stat that got me was the snap count. 
I mean, that was basically all away and, and Shaka Tony. There was yeah. some some Isaac sprinkled in, some Shane Simmons by the end of the year. Um, but really less it was, Isaac than I think either of us probably anticipated going exact, into last year. Exactly. So you're gonna replace two guys with three guys. Obviously, you'd like to find a fourth, whether that's Fisher, maybe Jesse Loquetta, maybe uh Smith Vilbert can step up, but you're mainly looking at these three guys to take over that that snap share. And I think that that's that's certainly a big question mark. You would have loved to see more of Adisa Isaac. We we believe that the talent is there. The guys around him have talked to, talked him up about being a potential um, high pick in the NFL draft. So uh, hopefully that comes to fruition. I'm I'm excited to see him. He's he's probably a guy we don't talk about as much because you know because of the step. I'll call it a step back last year, but the step down in reps last year um, really kind of took him out of sight, out of mind. Um, but Ebikete. The guy that, you know, when you're talking to people in the program, he just, his name just keeps coming up and they'd like to see him put on a few more pounds, um, you know, play against the run and everything like that. But uh, as far as a snap guy off the edge, they can get to the quarterback that that's an exciting guy right there. And I'm, I'm curious to see what he can do against big 10 offenses. And, and it looks like, you know, based on the limited amount we saw this spring, he, he certainly fits the part and, and can do it. Tarbert, we've talked about a million times. Health is the key here. Brings a little bit something different um, in terms of bigger guy setting the edge, et cetera. Um, but you're talking about replacing two with three, and that's great. But I, I don't think that these three are quite on the level yet. We, I mean, we haven't seen enough to put those guys on that level yet. I almost feel this is, and this is taking a lot away from two scrimmages and, and word of mouth this spring, but I, I almost feel like I'm trusting Ebikede because he has played expanded snaps. I want to see. What Adiza Isaac does when when the spotlight falls upon him and the tasks fall upon him with routine rather than as kind of a rotational situational player, because I think he has all the ceiling to get to the point where when we'll, we'll talk about him in a moment about a, a potential 2022 NFL draft prospect. To me, I feel like Arnold Abikete is, is almost more of a safer bet to be productive off that edge. I think Arnold uh, Adiza Isaac has the highest ceiling in that room right now. But really, we're talking about a group that's going to have maybe up to three linebackers turn defensive ends. Nick Tarburn did that a while ago, but you've got Zariah Fisher pushing for time now. Uh, you've got Jesse Luketta maybe transitioning over there. And then we got defensive tackles in the conversation. I think, you know, you're, you're finding other spots in the field where you're using athletes and you're using skill sets that are a match to really, you know, let's face it, try to, to, to put a, a bit of a, a Band-Aid on a situation with, that we knew was brewing from a depth standpoint, even bringing in a guy like Ebikede, you're just not getting, uh, you know, an instant impact true freshman coming in this year. Um, you're not getting one from, from that class last year that's ready to rise up and make a huge impact. So this is a spot where we bounced around the same names repeatedly. But it feels like there's going to be some some help, whether it's one of those guys coming in from linebacker or a guy bouncing out from defensive tackle, because there just has to be other guys involved there. And and this is probably something that goes back a couple of years. I mean, you you know, I'm a big Sean Spencer fan, but at the end of his tenure, he had a few misses at defensive end. And that's certainly, I think, catching up with what they're doing. Um, you had a couple of guys moving, you know, they, they recruited the lines heavily. Um, the defensive line, especially heavily, a lot of those guys have ended up at tackle. A lot of those guys have ended up not contributing so far. And that's kind of, you know, when you throw numbers at it, that's the risk that you take. And unfortunately, I think they've come on on that, uh, out on that situation. Couple that with a couple of, of cycles where defensive end recruiting, or excuse me, the defensive end crop was not the best in the world. Um, and I think that really came back, uh, you know, and, and is showing up on the roster moving forward. Having said that, those guys can play, those guys can make, make some things happen, but they're going to need more experience. And as you mentioned, the schedule does not set up well in terms of just gaining experience for some of these guys. Another position uh, that produced a, a high-end draft pick, Pat Fryermuth, the second tight end off the board to the Pittsburgh Steelers in round two. You lose a, a, a very, very highly regarded tight ends coach in Tyler Bowen. You lose an All-American candidate at the position. And yet, we tend to gloss over tight end when, when thinking about what might be a concerning aspect of this Penn State roster. And that's for good reason. And I'll keep saying that. Well, it's a combination of the first two points we've made here. So you didn't have Micah last year and you kind of had to play through that and cultivate the depth, if you will. And then the second one, you've got defensive end where you've got three guys replacing two. Here you've got, you know, you were at, without Pat for the last half of the season. You've got two guys replacing one. 
I think those two guys are really good. And and this is a thing like Pat's fantastic. I love Pat. He was, he was tremendous. I don't think that the step down is all that much. It's not, it's not like, uh, you know, when Gesicki left and all of a sudden the cover was bare, you've got Bretton strange who started a bunch. You got Theo Johnson who by the end of the season, you know, th- they couldn't help but play 12 personnel because those guys are, are pretty freaking good. And you throw onto it, uh, Theo Johnson's out here running four fives these days. Okay. You know, you, you feel pretty good about that group. You got Tyler Warren in there as well, but I think a big chunk of those reps going to strange and Johnson. And to me, I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. Theo Johnson, uh, now the, was at the all time top of the board at, at tight end for the 40 yard dash that they have in, in the weight room, six foot six, 253 pounds. Um, I'm not sure he's even 20 years old yet. So an exciting prospect to say the least. Tyler Warren's a guy that we've said before, it seems further along in his career than maybe we thought he would be less than a full year on campus to this stage. Um, and, and it's a good spot. Like you said, Mike Kosicki leaves. You're wondering if you have one guy that can be a real 100% starter for you. Now it feels like you've got two guys that could do that with Pat Fryer without the door. Um, guys are going to have to prove it with the spotlight on them, but you liked what you saw down the stretch last year. Uh, on the offensive front, uh, a couple guys who played a ton of football, three-year starters, um, Michael Mennett, Will Fries, uh, both off the board in the seventh round back-to-back. Mennett going to uh, the Arizona Cardinals, Fries with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, a lot of years you'd look at these two losses and say this is going to be a really major issue for Penn State. But you've got Mike Miranda, who's played a lot of football for you inside, stabilizing things at center. It sounds like he has stepped up in that role in multiple ways. And then Will Fries, who was you know in, slid inside from right, go- right tackle to right guard, making room for a former top 100 prospect, Caden Wallace. And you've got Juice Scruggs now really ready to fill that spot at right guard and you know, if you're saying Juice Scruggs versus Wolf Fries, you know, who you who might be able to maximize that potential by the end of their career? I'm I'm still going with Juice Scruggs, uh, and, and I'm pretty comfortable with that pick. So, it, it for losing two guys who played what 35 plus games apiece, started 35 plus games apiece, you're in pretty good shape if you're Phil Troutwine, and and that's a testament to the work he's done. And we just got to figure out how this two deep is going to actually emerge because we got really not much in, in terms of that from our spring scrimmage uh, observations. I think that's probably the, the the good takeaway is you lost a lot of experience here, but you're, you're bringing back guys that you think you can play. You, you've got a guy like Eric Wilson coming in um, who's also played a lot of football. So you're, you're replacing your experience with, you know, slightly less experience, but still experience. Nonetheless, you're not throwing uh golden Achumba out there at guard or something of that nature. So I think that certainly helps um, with taking the sting away. I, again, I'm higher on Fry's career than almost anybody. You know, you just watch the tape. He was one of the more solid offensive linemen Penn State's had in the last decade. And, you know, despite his battles with Chase Young that ended up very one-sided, he he had a pretty good career here. So um, losing that will hurt. He played a lot of football. Oh, God, I was trying to get through saying, Will, or trying to get through the Will Fries thing without saying he played a lot of football. I thought you were going to say he played a ton of football. And I, I was going to go. I couldn't a lot do it, man. It was too much, uh, too much for me. <laughs> um, but obviously when you lose that kind of experience, it, there's, there's going to be a learning curve. Um, so what are we looking at? We're looking at Rasheed Walker at left tackle. You're looking at probably Eric Wilson at left guard. Des Holmes was in there. Of course, Des Holmes missed the spring, which that, that, that's a bad time to miss a, a bunch of practice. Miranda kind of the stabilizing force in there um, at center. Scruggs at right guard, maybe work some Bryce Effner in there. Um, Celine Wormley had a good spring as well. I don't know that he's on the level to start yet. And then Caden Wallace at right tackle. And then Landon Tengwall um, can, can be in that mix as well. But I think that, you know, you've, you feel pretty decent about it. They're still looking in the portal to see if maybe there's a, a, a patch and play guy there. Um, but I don't know that they're going to, bringing a guy that's going to be able to start. And that's obviously going to be a hindrance for maybe a fifth year guy that's looking to, to get out and, and and do some things. So I feel okay about where they stand there. Um, again, you don't want to have injuries anywhere, uh, but obviously the offensive line is a big spot. Wilson's a, a, a key piece and he's going to arrive on campus later this week. I'm going to write that up after we get done recording here. Um, so yeah, I think that, that that's okay. And, and to me, a key guy in here, even if he doesn't play is Bryce Efner, the way that they talked about him in the spring, Efner could possibly take over that center role. If you get into it bad enough, you know, if you got a couple of injuries that stack up, you maybe put Efner in there at center, slide Miranda back to guard where he's comfortable as well. So um, that would be to me, and I think we, we kind of got the first five or the first six or seven uh, hammered down, but if you can get eight and nine squared away and Efner's one of those guys, I think that can, that can go a long way. 
And I felt like Olu Fashano handled himself pretty well. Um, took took some lumps during the scrimmage action that we saw, but you, it's a good thing. And I think you alluded to this. It, it's it's a good thing for where the program is right now, and where this positional unit is right now, that you don't have to go into that well of, of the five guys you brought to campus last year, didn't have any real offseason structure with them, didn't have any real practice structure with them. If you were needing to call upon one of those five 2020 signees to really plug into a key spot in your offensive line right now, I think that would be a predicament for Penn State. And because of the, the way they've recruited and because of the way they've you know, brought in a guy from the transfer portal, it seems that barring a, a rash of injuries, they're going to be able to avoid that fate, which a lot of teams get thin in a hurry on the offensive line. I don't need to remind Penn State fans about that. Well, and you bring you bring in these guys during COVID and are, they're obviously not going to develop right off the bat like some of the, the, the guys that have been there before them. You could probably throw Olu out there for, you know, to finish a game or something and, and be OK and then get through that game and maybe move some guys around and see what you've got with that. You've got a bunch of interior guys there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it would be a, t- a test um, for this team to, to have to lean on that 2020 class so soon. Um, as you mentioned, Tangwell is probably, you know, technically ahead of them all and, you know, f- physically technically, I don't know about physically, but he came in as a technician, that guy that's been doing this right. guy that's been ready to play. Obviously he had a, he had an injury in the spring that kind of held him out of those last two scrimmages. Um, but in terms of being an offensive lineman and, and, and knowing which way to go with it, I think that he could be an answer there. But again, that's probably getting down to to nine or 10 or 11 on your depth chart. And that's a, uh, that's a long way to go. Hopefully Penn state, it doesn't come down to that. Yeah. It's, that's Trout Wine's job to figure out uh, and we'll continue to cover because again, it was not a long look at this group. A lot of guys were missing still Eric Wilson coming in um, from what you need to replace here in 2021 to who you might need to replace in 2022. We're going to get into that next, the draft prospects for the next NFL class to keep tabs on here in happy Valley. Uh, some reaction to the top 25 that just came out from 24 seven sports and our five-star mailbag. We'll jump into all that right around the corner. Stay with us. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we turn our attention to the next NFL draft class from Happy Valley, and there's a lot of names to work with here. Uh, you're still going to see guys really step up, make a name for themselves, launch themselves up draft boards, and you will see Penn State players maybe prove that they need an extra year on campus or not be able to fill the expectations that we are currently discussing them under. But we're going to throw a lot of names uh, on the board for now. Sean, we'll see who actually emerges and is still standing when the names are called next April by the NFL commissioner. But senior eligibility, it's a small group. Normally, this would be a, a much larger uh, collection of players to focus in on. But you've got Jaquan Brisker and Tariq Castro Fields at safety and cornerback, respectively, coming back electing to use that bonus NCAA eligibility. You have John Lovett, who did the same, but left Baylor after a successful year there in the Big 12, now vying for carries as a running back in the Penn State backfield. Derek Tangelo competing to try to start alongside P.J. Mustafer in the defensive tackle position. And then Eric Wilson, who you just really provided an optimistic outlook, saying you think he is going to uh, work his way into that left guard role as things stand right now. To me, the conversation starts with Jaquan Brisker because of how he ended the 2020 season. But don't forget about Tariq Castro-Fields. I still think he's got a really great opportunity here in a crowded cornerback room to kind of restate his case as a guy who can come off the board fairly early in his position group. I mean, it's it's pretty simple, right? If he stays healthy, he's going to have a shot. And that's been his issue the last two seasons is he hasn't been able to stay on the field. And um, when he's been on the field, he's been pretty darn good. But it's been kind of an issue with uh, with the first part there. So I, I, I don't think there's anything 
overly difficult about project or I mean, it's obviously difficult to project where he's going to be because you don't know if he's going to be healthy, but I don't think that, I don't think this is a crazy evaluation or anything like that to say that he's physically talented. He's going to test really well. He's going to do all those things, right. Um, he's just going to put some tape together where he's healthy and coming back is, was a no brainer in that, in, in that regard. So um, getting Castro feels back just uh, I think can go a long way in, in solidifying the secondary, but at the same time, I mean, if he left this year, what undrafted, I would guess. I mean, that would be uh, somebody may have taken a chance on his athleticism very late, but that to, to me, that was, a, that was one where, you know, no, no question. He should come back. Yeah. P- perfectly set up for him. Jaquan Brisker was certainly a little less assured that he'd be sticking around Penn state w- with the, the late season accolations and, and opted to do that. And they have said uh, so far cashing in on that opportunity and, and, and really impressing uh, in 2021 with his third year with the program already um, out of those three guys, the senior eligibility uh, who transferred in John Lovett, Derek Tangelo, Eric Wilson. I don't know how you think about maybe who has the biggest bump to gain from this year at Penn state, but to me, out of all, the transfers we're going to discuss Arnold Abikade because of the, the the reason stated earlier that explosiveness that transition that has gone very well from Temple where he was an all-conference player to me he's the guy out of that transfer group and he has two years of eligibility but he could put himself in a position to be out after one year I don't think he was coming in to play two years to be honest no. with you so um and, and that's another thing Penn State's kind of set the precedent this year six year guys that's a long time to spend in college um it's kind of time for some guys to move on for one reason or another um so i i think that that kind of precedent has been set and you won't that goes for anybody by the way any anyone out there yeah six year college starting to push it unless you're getting that doctorate easy easy um (laughs) so brisker and castro fields are fifth year guys so they're coming back that makes sense um evicate guys like mike miranda um they're gonna you know have decisions to make there and and i wouldn't be shocked if you saw it as a, a Shelton situation for somebody that, you know, maybe have played out their five years and then maybe want to f- finish out somewhere else. So um, it's obviously a case by case basis, but, but I agree with you in terms of Evakiti, I look at the transfers and how many carries is John Levitt going to get? You're not sure. Is Derek Tangelo going to be a starter? You're not sure. Uh, where does Eric Wilson fit? Well, he's not even on campus yet, so I'm not going to speculate on that. Um, Evakiti is a guy that could, could really help himself out, uh, can get bigger. I think that, that is the biggest thing when you talk to scouts, what they want to see from him. Um, he's, he's, he's twitchy. He's explosive off the edge but you want to see him be a complete defensive end and 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 you certainly can move up the draft board with that so i think it's um probably yeah i, I yeah arnold's uh, ak is the way to go on that one um the 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 interesting thing to me these other fifth year guys mike miranda he's gonna end up playing a ton of football by the end um you know obviously you love a veteran presence there's that line again <laughs> yeah there's that line i mean but uh yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see which direction that goes. The interesting one to me here, Jordan Stout, and I know kickers don't go or anything like that in, in the draft. I mean, a couple of them do. Um, obviously, he's got a big leg, but I mean, wh- where does he fall into this? And you saw Penn State offer a, a 2022 punter and Alex Bachetta a couple of weeks ago. Um, so you're curious where that stands with punting, kicking off, and all that stuff. So that that to me is an interesting one because that's you, you, if you're not bringing back six year guys, uh, you know, as a, as a rule or something, that's one thing, but stout is probably a guy that could really contribute for you over the next couple of seasons. So I, I don't know which way it goes, but I, I could see him moving on after next season, just because that's, that's kind of the way that things are going. One other name in that fifth year group that will be a topic of conversation all year long is Sean Clifford. I don't know if you've heard this, Sean, but the talk about the 2021 NFL draft class was that every quarterback was going in the top five and now the talk about the 2022 classes, is there a first round pick in the mix? Yeah, they all stink, um, remember? <laughs> yeah, so, they, so I don't know how this all factors in. What I do know is that Sean Clifford going into next year would be 26. Uh, hold on, let me make sure I have, have his yeah, 24 years old, not 26. I apologize oh, for that. Yeah, he'll be 24 still, years old next summer. That's so crazy, is, he play, is he playing college football somewhere? If he wants to play a six year, is that opportunity at Penn State? Obviously, a lot of that is going to depend on what happens here in year number five with the Nittany Lions. Um, or does he say, you know, I, I'm going to go take my chances at the NFL draft uh, and, and get a fresh start for myself? I don't know what 2022, quite frankly, I don't know what this fall is going to, to showcase with what Sean Clifford is as a quarterback at the college level, maybe down the line, continuing professionally. We have a lot to learn there, Sean, but 
you can't ignore the history with Mike Yurcich and the quarterback play. Um, and, and look, if the quarterback class maybe is as watered down as the analysts are telling us 12 months ahead of the next draft, then who knows how Clifford could factor in. Yeah, I'm I'm on the fence about it. You, you you know my feelings on that one because you know it, it, he has to be better this year. And to me, it's a it's kind of like, he has to be mentioned here. We, yeah, he, he has, has to, to be mentioned. Well, here. I mean, we're mentioning everybody else. We just mentioned the kick, the punter. So um, it, it's kind of a situation where where does your quarterback room stand after this year? And you know, Clifford's the only one that's gotten snaps. Probably the only one that's going to get snaps if he stays healthy. Um, you know, you, you obviously are still exploring transfers and things like that, but it's kind of a tough spot to be in because it's the only guy that's taken snaps for your program. that's still here in the last three years. Um, obviously quarterbacks, uh, excuse me, college coaches have a sense of comfort with experienced quarterbacks, but at the same time, it probably would be time to move on, you know, from both sides. So I don't know how they're going to handle it. That's going to be fascinating, especially when you take into account his younger brother is going to be on the roster here, uh, you know, at the end of the month. So it's a, it's a crazy way to think about it. Again, uh, he's obviously got to get much, much better to be considered a, a potential draft pick. I mean, I think we're a long way from the start of the 2019 season. People asking if he was going to leave after this year um, so or after that year. So uh, it's uh, there's a lot or excuse me after 2020. I mean, I'm not good at math. I'm sorry. If you haven't picked up, I'm not good at math from listening so far. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but yeah, we're, we're a ways from that. He's got to be better. Um, I think it's obviously premature to talk about him as a potential draft pick just because he hasn't done it. Speaking of math, those are your fifth-year juniors. Uh, we got other juniors of a different variety here, some fourth-year players, Jahan Dotson, P.J. Mustafer in the 2018 class, but it is, here we go, fourth-year sophomore, Rashid Walker, who is really the name that you see pop up here in the first-round NFL mock drafts for 2022. Uh, I, I think McShay had him in that group. I, I think uh, Daniel Jeremiah has spoken highly of him. Whenever you hear the 2022 offensive line class being discussed, Rashid Walker is not far down that list. And I really think he's due for a big step forward um, compared to where he was last year, which you know I didn't think was a big step forward from where he was in 2019 as a first-year starter. Third-year starter for left tackle, year number two with Phil Troutwine, who has become a legitimate, you know, personal mentor for this young man. These two have really hit it off. I think there's just a lot pointing toward him being um, the, the next big-time offensive line prospect out of Penn State. You had a couple drafted this year. You had McGovern in round three. But, you know, Donovan Smith going second round, that's, that's a ways back now, and this would be a really nice feather in the cap for Phil Troutwine if Rashid Walker is still the name we're talking about, I talked right on through Jahan Dotson after that fantastic season. Um, but I, I, this conversation, I, I think, probably goes with Rashid Walker uh, when you're working off the NFL, you know, board right now. Oh, absolutely. And this is a guy that could be a top five tackle in the, in the draft class next year. And the talent has always been there, obviously, but uh, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, he's a fourth year player. So we're always talking about, is he coming back? Is he going to stay or anything? Or is he coming back? Is he going to go? I think you probably set your expectations right now to him not being here in 2022, but you want to see him have a big 2021. Uh, To be honest with you, I'm Penn State has avoided high draft picks. I think Donovan Smith was the last kind of high draft pick. Uh, Connor McGovern went in the third round, but uh, first or second round pick. Uh, if you can get an offensive tackle in there, I think it could, you know, do things for Phil Troutwine on the trail. I think it do things for this program on the trail to help their uh, stock as an offensive line uh, producer, especially after having two guys drafted this year. So I think that that's probably the biggest thing is is kind of set your expectations accordingly, and you know, hope he can live up to them. I think he's tremendously talented. I think he's, uh, uh, you know, gotten better in increments this year, and I think he can take a, a big step moving forward with a full off season. So I'm excited to see his progress this year and and you know i know we talked about Dotson having the fantastic year but if you're talking about top of the you know top of the ceiling guys for penn state in the 2020 2022 draft um then yeah walker's got to be it uh, the last first round offensive lineman out of penn state was 2007 so a long time coming uh if this comes to fruition for Rashid walker but let's remember we saw some early mock drafts this time last year that also had him pegged elite first round talent um big step forward for him this year by all accounts big step forward this spring i'm gonna i'm gonna put two feet on the bandwagon that Rashid walker goes out and has that kind of all big 10 year for this team um they're looking for one of those years again from jahan dotson he's got help at wide receiver from parker washington who really came on strong but jahan dotson you and i were talking about this uh, a week or two ago and we were first gonna jump into this segment 
you know, when I think of, of who Jahan Dotson is and my mind's eye as a wide receiver, what he brings to the field and offense team, it has really evolved in a big way um, since when he showed up from high school and really since the team showed up back to campus last year to where we are now. The statistics are part of that, but the aggressiveness downfield, um, his ability to break away downfield, and there is just a, a different gear to Jahan Dotson than what I thought we would really see emerge during his days at Penn State, a testament to his hard work, uh, to what Taylor Stubblefield has done, and uh, there's no more K.J. Hamler shadow. He he got out of that in a big way last year, and I'm really curious to see because there are so many athletes at wide receiver now. You see coming out of recruiting classes every year. It is a stock position. That's why we see a bunch of these receivers going off the board early. I don't know how the 2022 class shapes up, Sean. 2021 class you know, wouldn't have been great for Jahan Dotson. It might have knocked him down a few pegs because of the guys who went so early. But he's got to be in that conversation. I don't see him on enough of these watch lists. I don't see him in enough of these 2022 draft conversations. And I don't get it, quite frankly. But then again, this is a guy who was left off some all Big Ten ballots last year after leading the conference in receiving. I'm sorry. I'm having a moment. I didn't realize it's been 14 years since Levi Brown, Paul Puzlesny, Jay Alford, Tony Hunt, and Tim Shaw went in the 20, 2007 draft. Oh, boy. That's uh that's, that's a high school that's freshman. Something. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Jahan Dotson should be in the, on those lists. He should be in consideration with that. I think, you know, I, I think Penn State could probably do a good job of getting his his testing results and things out there like that. I think he's kind of looked at in that way as that possession receiver that probably still is not the fastest guy in the world. I think he's, you know, run high four fours, low four fives for them, which is a good number for, for Dotson. And if he can continue to do that, maybe add a little bit of muscle and, and sort of come around. And, and from that angle, I think Penn state will continue to push him. I think that that's probably, I mean, probably part of the agreement with him coming back is, Hey, we're going to get you out in there, get, get on these watches, make you, you know, one of the faces of the program. Cause Dotson, you think about him as kind of a guy that took a backseat to Hamler um, kind of a guy that you, know, you kind of assumed he was probably the number two, for his entire career while well, he stepped up last year and was a number one. So I think that, that, that that's probably something that Penn State can do to get him a little bit more out there. Um, the draft class is always loaded with wide receivers. We talk about how it's a great receiver one year, great receiver class one year, just a good receiver class the next. You, you rarely get a class that's like, okay, now's the time to strike while the iron's hot if you're an underclassman receiver because those guys are also athletic. So I think that him coming back uh, could can push him up. I, I think there is a cap on how high he can eventually go. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, it's going to be exciting to see him develop over the next year to go from a guy that really came out of nowhere last year. Uh, Penn State people knew about him, obviously, but to, to, to come out of nowhere to put on some of the performances that he did to a guy that all of a sudden you've got expectations for him. You've got uh, defenses paying a little bit more attention to him. Can he step up and take that uh, take that next leap? I think he can. I think he's talented enough, enough to do so, and I think it can help his draft status in the, in the long run uh, even uh, as well. Do you know the last time a Penn State wide receiver went round one? Is that Brian Johnson? Brian Johnson, 18 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 18 years ago. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how Jahan Dotson and, and this wide receiver class come together. But I, I just, I get the sense that if he's searching for motivation, not that he needs any, but it's out there right now. And when you look at the conversation at wide receiver guys at Ohio state guys at Indiana, a lot of guys in this conference that are being mentioned when he is not getting that kind of a spotlight. And and it's, it's, I'm, I'm sure Penn state, uh, hates it because they want to get praise and they want to get the spotlight on their kids. But I'm sure in some ways it is serving as a heck of a motivating factor for Jahan Dotson uh, going into what we would assume junior year, but number four and, and the last year at Penn State, it will be a big surprise if he's back next year. PJ Mustafer is the other fourth year player that we want to mention here. This is a 2018 class, Sean, that produced three players in the top 60. Uh, it has lost some marquee members along the way for different reasons, but Mustafer filled the role as a true freshman, started as a sophomore, started essentially as a sophomore, was the full-time guy as a junior, and he's going to play uh, in that first-team role this year. That's, that's once again, a ton of football in a four-year span, and I think athletically and where he's at now physically, um, to me, he may be in the best situation out of a lot of the guys we've mentioned to this point to build up that draft stock to a guy that isn't really in that focus conversation right now, to someone who is warranting a lot more conversation when it comes to should he stay, should he go, because Mustafa will be able to use that fifth year next year. 
Yeah, yeah, but I think uh, I kind of lump him in with the, with the potential six year guys. I think it's time yeah. um, for him to step up and to to be that guy. And if and if he's the player we think he can be, he's going to be draftable after this year. I think that he kind of fits in that um, that mold that we were talking about with uh, with Tariq Castro Fields. Even though Fields has the injury aspect to it, but if you think he can play, if you if you think that he can be the guy that you brought him in to be, which I do think he can be an All Big Ten guy, um, he's going to be draftable, especially with that frame, with that background, and, and things like that i think he can he can play in the nfl and then who is going to be the first player drafted from the 2019 penn state class uh, they become draft eligible following the 2021 season and um, th- there's a bunch of guys who could step up play huge roles we got a few listed here who we expect to play those big roles we have seen from brandon smith is in that conversation as a returning starter um, and then i've got noah kane here because to me I don't care what, what happened the last couple couple seasons. NFL draft scouts will parse through that, why he missed time, what the risk may be. He gets on a roll this year. I think he keeps that momentum going all the way to the pros, and he can be a very effective player at the next level. Yeah, that was the plan from the start. That I mean, was the plan. To come in three years and go. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's the same as Castro Fields. He's got to be healthy. If he can be healthy and be productive, he's a running back, and he should take take it upon himself to 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 keep himself as fresh as possible. You remember when when he came in though it was funny because he went to IMG and had a really light loaded IMG, but his first two years of high school, he had like 200 carries each year or something like that. So um he's a he's he's a guy that you know wants to keep some tread on the tires for that next uh, career step. And it, and if he can have a productive year this year, I don't think it's out of the question whatsoever. It's been like Benjamin Button, his career as a running back. He was like loaded up playing Texas high school football as a 14 and 15 year old. And then he was just been splitting carries and unfortunately removed from action. He should be a guy that when it's time to go again, uh, looks fresh out there. We didn't and, and, get to see him as a full go in the spring. And he never got hurt in high school. That's the thing. No. Like he was, you know, healthy all the way through. So kind of happens sometimes when some guys get to college and you earn that injury prone tag, but it, it, it certainly wasn't here before he got to, got to the college level. Adiza Isaac has to be here um, because he puts it together for 12, 13 games this year with what he is as a physical specimen, with where he's come since his high school senior year physically. And and, and what would seem to be fundamentally, if he can validate that with, with some strong football play, Sean, there's just so much to, to like about the package that Adiza Isaac presents and also as a person. And that's important, too, when you're talking about draftable guys who can maybe be worth a bit of a gamble if they come out after us as a sophomore, which Aziza Isaac would consider him. Uh, the launch pad is there. We'll see if he can get to that launch pad and, 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 and sky, you know, have a liftoff moment, but he's got to be on this list just because he's capable maybe as much as anybody out there on this defensive unit of going from, where he stands now to where he stands in the draft conversation next year. And that being just such a, a massive uh, gap between those two. I like where you put that with the launch pad because the, the potential is there. Obviously he yeah. has gotten the rep count, uh, hasn't gotten the production so far. And he's, you know, he's going from being a young guy to being one of those veterans that you lean on. So the opportunity is there. I don't know that, you know, obviously with a big year, anything can happen for any of these guys. Um, but I, I still think that he's got a bunch of development in front of him, which is also exciting. I know the coaches will hate this. I know a lot of people will hate this, but we got a freshman on this list for draft prospects and we got a third year freshman, Joey Porter Jr. Um, there are plenty of players uh, in that defensive backfield who can make the move for themselves put themselves in a great spot, include Johnny Dixon on that list who transferred in from South Carolina. We talked about three Castro fields and Jaquan Brisker, uh, whoever's in the safety role. And, and quite frankly, Keaton Ellis, you know, if, if it booms for him at safety, you know, we'll talk about that when we get there, but Joey Porter played extensively, didn't finish the season healthy last year, didn't start 2021 healthy. So we're going to have to see where he stands there, but back out there as a starting cornerback, if he holds down that job and, and fights off the competition, He's got the the length, the pedigree, and just that explosive ability at that size to do things that cornerbacks really can't do. And the way wide receiver is going and that athleticism that you encounter at that position, the exact kind of prospect that NFL scouts will absolutely cover. Yeah, he's got all these boxes that you've checked, and and he's looked good in coverage too. I know he's he, he was growing up last year, but um, you don't get that kind of those kind of numbers there that, that that he's put up in the past, especially with the the length that he has. Um, ran a ran in the four fours for Penn State, which is a, was a total shock to me because um, we thought he was a four six guy coming in. If he can, you know, put those those 
<laughs> numbers together, man. Uh, he may be, have one of the highest draft ceilings on this, uh, on this roster right now. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to leave after this season or anything like that, but uh, he, there's a lot to like with Joey Porter and with, with a big year, anything's possible. Sean, do you know the last time a Penn State cornerback was selected in the first round of an NFL draft? I'm done with this game. I'm sorry. It never has happened, uh, is my understanding, uh, that no cornerback has gone in the first round out of Penn State. So we'll find out if that guy's in this room. Thanks for playing, Sean. Uh, and, and we'll move into the quick conversation on 24-7 sports. Newly released top 25 uh, following spring practice camps across the country. Penn State checking in at number 20. Remember, they had one of the longest streaks in the AP Top 25 poll until their season opening losing streak last year knocked them out of the conversation following the four-game win streak. Sean, this has kind of become the norm. You're seeing Penn State projected to land inside that top 25. This is probably about median range of what I've seen. I would say I've seen Penn State as high as 16, 17. Uh, and then as low as 24, 25 or, or, or right outside of the poll. So I'd say 24-7 sports, our national panel, kind of right down the middle on where I've seen Penn State in a lot of these way too early top 25 rankings. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's only so much you can take from last season. And I think that that's going to factor into this. But at the same time, um, you know, you, you look at what James Franklin's been able to do is greater body of work. And it certainly gives, uh, gives Penn state some of the benefit of the doubt. Like I said, like I mentioned earlier, talent and spots depth is, is going to be an issue at some other spots and they need to continue to address that, whether it be portal or, or something else. Um, but uh, I don't know what something else would, would be in this situation. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting year. I, I would have them in that 20 to 30 range in there. I don't know that we've narrowed down. I don't know that I've seen enough of the other teams in there, but Quarterback is still the biggest question that I have going in and and whether or not that's uh, something that can bump them up into the top 15 or something. If Clifford has a great year or whoever's whoever's playing quarterback has a great year uh, that remain that, that that's probably for the conversations for the next four or five months. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I have no problem with them being at 20, 23. I think I saw on another one. Um, the schedule is going to be interesting because you're going to go to Wisconsin and play what 24 seven sports has as the number 16 team in the country at home uh, to open the season. So that's not, not an ideal way to kick things off. By the way, Auburn not listed in this, not even other votes receiving. So that'll, that'll make it interesting for their visit to Penn State in September. Um, other Big Ten teams, obviously Ohio State's always going to be up there. They're number four. Indiana at 17, which they bring up, bring back a bunch from last year, including the quarterback. Uh, you know, if Michael Penix is healthy, then that's a that's a pretty good football team. Iowa's always tough. Northwestern's 26. Uh, Iowa 18, by the way. Northwestern 26 and Michigan 28th. Um, and that's also receiving votes. So um, yeah, it's, a, it's quite a, quite a lot to talk about in that, uh, in that top 25, but I have no problem with them being listed uh, quote unquote that low. Um, I think there's plenty of questions, especially coming off of four and five seasons. Yeah. And, and look, it, it's, it's, that's all it is to talk about right now, but it, it's very clear that national perception and what we've seen on the football field with our, our own eyes the last few seasons is Ohio state is put here. And then the rest of the big 10 is kind of sorted in the next slot. And right now you've got, you mentioned, you just went through those teams between 16 and 28. Uh, you have six big 10 teams listed there. Penn state uh, right, right in that. I should say actually, yeah, six Penn state is number four out of those six. And then you've got Ohio state up at number four, three of the top four teams, Sean replacing the first round pick at quarterback. Um, you've got Alabama number one uh, and then Clemson at number two. Uh, Oklahoma, number three, Ohio State is four, and Georgia is five. And I screwed that up. Flip-flop Oklahoma and Clemson. They've got Oklahoma two behind Alabama, Clemson three, four Ohio State, five Georgia. Easy for me to read a, a, a stupid list, but I made it through. Um, and, and by the way, Sean, um, no ball state, although we got to keep remembering that they are a conference champion coming off of, of their 2020 season. I know it's a, a team that's kind of buried in the lead when we talk about that September schedule with a trip to Wisconsin and then hosting Auburn, but Ball State coming to town, they're not ranked either, but uh, I'd also wanted to mention that. I appreciate you throwing them in there. Um, but yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not uh, a Mac walkover or anything like that uh, that we've seen in the past. So uh, yeah, it's a, we're going to learn a lot about this. Learn a lot. And, and, and unfortunately for Penn state, we learned a lot about them in the, in the first two weeks of the season last mm. year. And that's, you know, you're kind of, it's not as front loaded as it was last year, but still you going on the road to Wisconsin that could set the tone for a lot of things. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know how it's going to go. 
Yeah, I, I just I feel like you're going to really know what your rankings path looks like. I mean, you're going to know a lot about the realities of, of your football program through those three weeks. And there's going to be a lot of room for development beyond that. Uh, but in terms of rankings and, and where you're factoring in as one of the elite members of this conversation in 2021, which, you know, to go from 0-5 one year to an elite caliber program the next is a huge, huge, huge uh, gap that I don't know if anyone's ever done ever. But Penn State, uh, if you get through those first three games and, and, and you don't have a loss, it's going to be a lot of conversation about you. The rankings will sort themselves out. And I'm looking at the, the way the 2019 season started, Sean, where some seasons feel a little bit different at the, at the, at the start of that schedule where you're able to, to front load things a bit. You had Idaho, Buffalo, Pittsburgh all at home, and then you went to Maryland uh, where they put a 59 nothing score on, on the board. So this year, the way it shapes up, there is a, a much trickier, uh, uh, you know, kind of course to navigate as you're looking to get into the bulk of your Big Ten play. Yeah, they could use one of those 2019 <laughs> schedules. <laughs> nice landing pad. Yeah. yeah I know Villanova comes to town on the what September 25th, but uh, yeah, they could use they could use a nice little tune up there uh, before you go to Camp Randall. Well, there's our plug for the 24-7 sports rankings. They dropped this week. Uh, let's jump into our five-star mailbag. Quick plug for that, too. Apple Podcasts is where you want to head to drop your five-star mailbag question. Post your five-star rating and review. Uh, whatever you want to talk about, recruiting, football, uh, stuff to do around State College, we'll dive into it. We got a long off-season still ahead of us, and, and we'll get into it here as camp season is right around the corner. Perfectly timed question coming our way. With Elite 11, Under Armour, and all the other camps finally starting back up for prospects, who travels to these camps from the Penn State staff? The 24-7 sports team is present at all of them, but what do the area recruiters go? Do grad assistants go? Um, do others go who are talked about less? Curious about the whole process. We're going to kind of blow up, I think, what this questioner had in mind, but it's a perfect time for a refresher because uh, you know the, the rules are tricky, and, and there's a lot of them when we're talking about NCAA recruiting. Yeah, this is this is often a disconnect between, you know, fans and and you know, people covering recruiting things like that. There's so many rules and so many things that you cannot do. Um so first off with with the dead period in in effect. Typically coaches would be out on the road right now for the evaluation period. That means they would go check out kids at their schools, go watch them at track meets, basketball games, all that kind of stuff. Um, even actually would be spring football this year, which would have been pretty interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, that typically happens. That's off the table right now. That's, uh, you know, you file that with the dead period at the end of May. So coach is not on the road right now. In a typical year, they would go out and see these guys um, work out and all that stuff. You cannot go to things like the Elite 11, the Under Armour camp, the showcase camps and things like that, you can't go to those if you're a college coach. And there's, the there's seven very, on seven things. Yeah, there are very strict rules in terms of what you can watch and what you can't watch. Um, those fall under that umbrella. Um, what happens there? And I think that um, I think that the this is this is for the Division One level. By the way, the FBS level, um, there are certain loopholes where lower division uh, programs can go to certain things like. Uh, uh, camp, these other camps and these other showcases and things like that, but that's not important. This is not, this is a Penn state <laughs> podcast, not a, not a recruiting podcast. Um, so yeah, so you get back into the regular things. So the elite 11s this month, the under armors this month, and I was at both of those, but the co college coaches can't go to these. And what they do is, um, they, they link up with the people that run these events, um, their recruiting services, if you call them and, and a recruiting service is different than 24 seven sports rivals, ESPN, whatever, Recruiting services actually, you know, mine the data, uh, do the testing results and things like that. Coaches subscribe to their services. So say um, Under Armour is run by a thing called UC Report. Well, 64 of 65 uh, FBS schools, and I don't know the, the, the last team, by the way, because I've, I've asked and I, I've not gotten an answer, um, subscribe to the UC report. So all these guys that went to Under Armour, all their measurements and their testing and things like that are now in a database for these college coaches to go uh, you know, figure out and, and go use how they want to use them. On top of that, they do video and things like that. So you have these separate cutups where you can go to where college coaches can go watch you work out. So it's it's kind of like an extended um, camp audition, but it's not in front of an actual college coach. The college coaches would much rather have you be at their camp to work you out, to run through the drills with them. Um, so that's where your evaluation, your in-person evaluation goes. So you can't have like, so 
I can be there. Doan can be there. Steve can be there, whatever. Tyler can be there. Um, so uh, the college coaches cannot be there. They're trying to get the information out of there. So they try to do whatever they need to do to glean that information for how guys looked and, and how they showed up on these, these clips that they're sent and, and the testing information, but you really can't be there. So that's kind of, um, it's kind of a disconnect because you see all these things. The elite 11 is fantastic. The Under Armour camp was great. The opening camps are always great. Coaches want to be present at these, but not in the sense that they can actually be present at these. So they want to take all the information, but they can't actually legally be there. So that's kind of the breakdown of that. Um, You know, you can't send a a staffer. The only, the, the only way to sort of not get around it, but the satellite camps were a big thing in this. So you could have uh, one of these mega camps where you went to say Mercer and you're bringing in Michigan and Penn state and Ohio state and Clemson and Florida state. And all these schools from around the country are sending um, players or excuse me, sending um, uh, coaches to scout these players, these high school players. And that counts as one of your evaluation days in the summer evaluation days in the summer, you get 10 days um, in June and July to run your own camps and they have to be on these evaluation days. So if you're running a camp in state college on June 5th, and there's another big mega camp, and this has changed with COVID. I don't think they can do this this year, um, but there's another mega camp in Atlanta on that fifth. Well, that helps. If you're running a, if you're running a uh, camp in State College on the sixth and that mega camp is taking place on the fifth, you have to decide if that mega camp or something else like, like it is going to be worth sacrificing one of your evaluation days. So it's all very complicated. Um, like I said, the coaches would much rather – get those guys on campus, get them to their own camp, work them out. Um, But they're trying to get any leg up necessary on the competition, um, whether it's testing numbers, video, um, pouring through. There's college coaches out there, and I've seen it because I've I've seen it in my inbox. There's college coaches out there that are, you know, combing through these clips of these one-on-ones that we post online, you know, on Twitter. So it's so crazy to think about how much probably over analysis goes into it, not only on our end at 24 seven sports rivals, the ESPN, but from the college coaches aspect of it, you're looking to invest a scholarship in these guys. So you're putting in that extra effort to figure out if this is a guy that you want to spend your time and your money on. Until you get them on campus, it's like following a pro day via Twitter clips and no broadcast and trying to tap into resources that you have on the ground. And I can tell you this, Come walking away from some of these national recruiting events after some of these years or even regional ones, uh, you know, people go, you're reminded a little bit of, of who, you know, in the, in the football world, because coming out of these camps, people tap you on the shoulder, you know, someone you may have not talked to in a while. I'm sure you get this. Hey, how'd so-and-so look any, any kind of times Did you get any results? There are, there's a very, very collective uh, ambition for college football coaching staffs to be as educated as they can coming off of, of these camp fields, although you will not see them uh, sitting down in the bleachers or standing on the sidelines during these things. They are engaged, though, uh, and, and, and they find a way to, to kind of to dive into that information. Unfortunately, they're going to have a chance to verify in June for, for several of these players uh, here at Penn State, which is a, a big-time moment for this football program. But you did a great job <laughs> diving into the details there uh, for a question and, I think a lot of people do have. And that's what made it tough last year is because is not only did you not have the camps on campus, but nobody was running these showcases until you know July. And even then, it was, it was very tough difficult to do one. Um, so I think that that's something that, that came across last year. We saw guys that, you know, you thought might be scholarship guys and end up did, did being scholarship guys elsewhere. I, t- I look at a guy like Corey Kiner, the running back from Cincinnati played small school, the Cincinnati area, small played small school ball was tremendously productive, but you really couldn't tell how actually fast he was. So did he run a four, four, did he run a four, eight? Well, that's, that's a pretty big gap right there. Now, LSU did take a chance on him and, and we'll see how his career develops, but that's just the, the sort of thing that you were dealing with last year, because without, without that verified information, um, you know, it, it could be a situation where you've got guys showing up to campus and you're like, you're not a division one athlete. 
And, and, and I don't expect that to happen with Penn State's class last year because they kept it small because they, you know, they moved on guys and they, they accepted commitments from guys that they thought they knew a ton about. Um, but it's, uh, it, it, it's pretty crazy when you think about all that goes into it, all the evaluation and how much they missed last year. It's, it's another reason I feel bad for um, Juco kids. I feel bad for the 2022 quarterbacks who didn't get a chance to even throw in the evaluation period in 2019. That's a big step for a quarterback in 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 his um, uh, you know in, in his ascent to uh, to being a college prospect because you've got the spring evaluation period, then you've got the school you know the, well you got elite eleven season, then you have the school camps in the summer, and then you have your fall season. Some of those guys didn't get any of that, so that's uh, that's tough to get around and it's tough to uh, to deal with. But uh, hopefully, we're on the other side of it now. This won't be shocking to people, but. Oftentimes we read way too in or people read way too much into camp performances on one afternoon. But one thing you can read into a little bit, you mentioned coming from a small, smaller program. It's hard to gauge the competition. You pluck one of those guys who has the ratings, has the rankings, place them on a field with everybody else who has the ratings and the rankings, the peers in his position group, the guys he's matching up one-on-one against you get a little bit of a, a behavioral diagnosis of, of who this kid is when it comes to competition there are some surprising, you know, lingerers at some of the camps over the years, guys who carry a lot of weight in the recruiting trail, but don't show up in that situation. And then there's the kid who comes from a smaller situation, weren't sure about the measurables, weren't sure about the competition. He shows up and he's a dog on the field and is taking it to guys who are more highly rated and he makes a name for himself. Those are the kind of things that, that I, I look forward to reading into if we get a chance to see these guys in action here in Happy Valley in June and July. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to think about. I mean, I think about uh, going back to so Penn State was evaluating Kenny Bennett, a uh, cornerback from Philadelphia area at camp one time, and he ended up getting matched up against Micah Parsons playing receiver and Parsons ate his lunch. I mean, and Kenny Bennett ended up signing, I think he's at Maryland now, um, and I think he might be a starter now, but Kenny Bennett went out and 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 just got eaten up by Micah Parsons, who obviously wasn't a wide receiver. And that's kind of the, the lasting impression that the Penn state staff got about Ben. And they really liked Bennett because he was six, one, six, two long arms could run, uh, run a bit. Um, and then all of a sudden Parsons comes out and dominates him as a receiver. And you're thinking, okay, well, if he can't cover a linebacker or at that point, a defensive end, uh, how's he going to cover a big 10 wide receiver? So that's the kind of things that you're working against at camp because you're, it's almost like you're trying to find the, you know, the reasons not to take them more so than to take them at that point, because you're, you're looking for the holes in the game. You're looking for, okay. Um, yeah, he ran a, he ran a four, six, but, um, okay. His shuttle is also four, six. That's a problem. You know, the, the, the little things like that. And trust me, college coaches can talk themselves out of taking a prospect, like nothing you would believe. It's, it's, it's unbelievable how much second guessing and things going on, uh, things so quickly too. Oh so my gosh. And, and, and some, <laughs> you know, and, and they're, they're college football coaches. So a lot of them are pretty darn stubborn to begin with. So um, it's a, it's a fascinating complex that, uh, that you go through and they, you do it every year and you all end up with the same 20 to 25 guys or whatever every season. But there's, there's so many sort of speed bumps along the road that you don't even think about. Um, and, and camp season is, is sort of a high point for that. Uh, Penn State at 10 commitments for the 2022 class, a big opportunity with camps returning to Penn State in June. Uh, again, very timely question and one that I think a lot of listeners appreciated. And uh, Sean, really nice job going through that one. That's got to be one of the more detailed answers we've had from a mailbag in quite some time. Uh, we look forward to your next mailbag questions. Send them our way. I think that's going to do it for us on the show. A little bit of everything, some top 25, uh, some NFL draft, uh, some replacement for NFL draft departures, and, of course, our mailbag. Sean, anything else to add before we uh, put the period at the end of this one? No, I think I'm good. Uh, as, as you mentioned, or as you probably noticed, my voice is, is about at the end of it. But uh, thanks for thanks for hanging with us. We made us. it. Yeah, we made it. Thanks for hanging with us for this uh, entire marathon conversation. And I thought it was a good one. Yeah, we enjoyed it. And by the way, once again, if you missed any of the conversation last week that really went into recruiting, Steve Wiltfong, Brian Doan, uh, circle back, catch up on those episodes, really did a great job as usual, both those guys uh, breaking down what the Nittany Lions are trying to accomplish and, and what may be possible for them uh, in the 2020 cycle and beyond. On behalf of Sean, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks as always for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. We will talk to you real soon.